Buying a new car is always exciting, but it comes at a high cost, especially if you're a new farmer. Many South Africans are encouraged to use a balloon payment, and this week, West Bank's Kutlano Mohatsusi unpacks this. You don't want to miss agricultural economist Lunati Sakanyane's overview of Mzanzi's niche crops and markets to explore. It's vital to diversify and become a trendsetter. Understanding how global export markets operate is essential for any farmer. Experts in the fruit export industry joins us this week to share crucial tips for farmers interested in penetrating international markets. And we chat to Lucinda Dortley, the head of news of Food for Mzanzi's newly launched sister publication called foodforafrica.com, inspiration and news from across the continent. On top of our book pile is A Fistful of Shells, West Africa from the Rise of the Slave Trade to the Age of the Revolution by Toby Green. And our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from Sipiwe Sitole, African Marmalade founder, an organic farming enterprise in Pretoria. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 104 of Food for Mzansi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm Don Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Food for Mzansi. And joining me is my co host and head of news at Food for Mzansi, Duncan Masiwa. It's great to be back, Dawn, and we are 15 days into December, and I can already start feeling the festive vibe. I don't know about you. But let's kick off the show with that promised talk about balloon payments. Nicole Ludov chats to Kutrano Mohatusi, the marketing and communications consultant at West Bank. Nicole, over to you. Thanks so much, Dawn and Duncan. Kutrano, what's balloon payments? When we talk about different vehicle purchase options, one term that often pops up is balloon payments. While people have often heard the term, not many fully understand its implications. It's a bit of a gray area, in fact. So, the question is, should a balloon payment be considered as an option when finalizing the installment deal on a new car or bucky, for that matter? Or is it something to avoid and steer while clear of? Let's start by explaining what it is. A balloon payment allows a buyer to take an amount owing on the total purchase price of a vehicle and set it aside. This results in the monthly installment amount on the vehicle finance contract being calculated on a lower value which in turn makes the repayments more affordable. So, you're essentially paying off a loan for most of the car. But here's the catch, not all of it. Balloon payments are widely available, but most advisors discourage them. Could you please tell us what some of the reasons are to avoid balloon payments? The important thing to remember is that the initial amount set aside at the onset of the contract is still owing and remains the buyer's responsibility to settle at the end of the contract or when the vehicle is traded in, refinanced or sold. The reality is that factoring a balloon payment into the finance agreement of your next vehicle purchase may come with some appealing benefits, but it is ultimately up to you as the purchaser to make sure that these benefits are clearly understood up front. Being responsible with your money and keeping within your budget are key to managing a balloon payment option. However, it should not be used to buy a car that you can't afford. Balloon payment deals require discipline. If a buyer is not financially savvy enough to manage cash flow and continue to save during the finance term, then a balloon deal is probably not the best option for that person. In what circumstances would you recommend that a car buyer actually get a balloon payment, if any? 
as West Bank, we conduct a full affordability assessment on all finance applications, including those in which a balloon payment is requested. One of our qualified finance and insurance managers, or commonly known as F&I managers, will ensure that the balloon payment is clearly and expressly explained to a customer at the time upon entering into the credit agreement. They are always on hand to give advice on the best finance options to suit each individual's requirements at all West Bank approved dealerships. Another term finance owners considering a balloon payment deal should familiarize themselves with is the break-even point. The break-even point occurs when the financed car's trade in value matches the amount still owed to the bank. When calculating the break-even point, it's important to remember to include the amount set aside up front and still outstanding in the balloon debt at the end of the loan period. Do you have any general advice for first-time car buyers? What should they look out for or know when buying their first car? We advise customers against viewing a balloon payment as an alternative to an upfront deposit. Being in a position to put down a healthy deposit on a new or used car will always reap returns further down the financial road. Not only will it bring your break-even point forward, and it will also lower the monthly repayment costs and the deferred debt held in the balloon. Another advantage is that you won't be liable for additional debt at the end of your finance period. While the benefits that come with keeping the monthly repayment lower may be appealing, it is important not to view a balloon deal as a means to purchase a car you really can't afford. The outstanding lump sum payment after years of driving a vehicle is easy to ignore or forget, but setting the debt aside always remains the responsibility of the buyer. That said, a balloon payment with some advantages if it has some advantages if it is used wisely. It is intended to assist with cash flow management, but it requires discipline to save. At the end of the day, all that is left to say is that customers need to be honest with themselves with regards to their personal financial situation and budget management when deciding whether a balloon payment is suited to them or not. Thanks, Nicole, and great having you, Kutlano Mahatusi, who's, of course, the Marketing and Communications Consultant at Westbank. For more information, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Next up, agricultural economist Nulati Tlakanyane now shares an overview of Mzanzi's niche or in-demand crop and markets to explore. Lunati, as 2021 draws to a close, with many farmers and agriculturalists already gearing up for the new year, what is your top three niche or in-demand crops for small to medium farmers to actually tap into in 2022? Well, my top three niche markets to keep an eye out for as we edge nearer to the new year, kiwi, blueberries, as well as mushrooms, right? I think we've been seeing quite a lot of interesting trends in these commodities over the past year and a half, and much of this has been driven by a sharp uptake in demand at the back of shifting consumer preferences, both locally and, of course, globally. Tell us about the local and export market for these crops. Starting with kiwi, our kiwi industry is comparatively small in area planted, with roughly about 200 hectares under cultivation. But nonetheless, um, it continues to show positive signs of tremendous growth potential. Um, a notable trend in the kiwi industry, however, is that the supply of kiwi in the country is largely export-orientated, with only about 20% of the total output consumed domestically. I mean, I'll give you just a brief contextual example of what I mean. You know, last year, kiwi exports amounted to roughly about 564 tons, valued at approximately 23 million rands, give or take. And of course, assuming a constant growth trajectory, we expect to see this figure grow north of 25 million rands by the end of next year. 
On the global scale or the international scale, Kiwi has grown quite exponentially as well, especially over the past two decades. You know, briefly, I think in 2001, the value of Kiwi um, in the international market was roughly at about 6.2 billion. And that figure has grown to almost 60 billion rands by the end of last year. So I think Kiwi in this regard, especially for our, our small and emerging farmers, is low-hanging fruit. Please do pardon the pun. <laughs> and moving over to blueberries, again, I think we're seeing quite interesting movements there within the blueberry subsector. The industry has managed to grow its export base in particular over the past 10 years from about roughly over 600 tons to slightly south of 9,000 tons by the end of last year. And in value terms, this has translated to growth of about 130 million rands in 2013 and slightly north of 1.1 billion rands by the end of last year. And the growth of, of blueberry exports in the country has been quite amazing to witness, especially given the fact that blueberries have been growing constantly at an annual growth rate of roughly about 50-51% give or take. And, you know, most of our production is targeted, as with the Kiwi, it's targeted at, at the international market. You know, 90% of our produce winds up in the EU. You know, blueberries are also something that I think a lot of emerging farmers might want to consider, you know, going into the new year. And thirdly, mushrooms. Mushrooms are a very interesting one, mainly because, I mean, it's a relatively new niche market, but it has and in fact still is growing quite exponentially. It's simply we produce roughly about 20,000 tons of mushrooms annually and much of this has been driven by the popularity of Asian cuisine in the country and our neighboring countries as well, which has created the sort of really nice market for exotic mushrooms. For any emerging farmer looking to diversify their production, mushrooms really be a great point to start. Now, of course, before we let you go, what's your message to new and aspiring Mzansi farmers? Your transactional and operational data is your lifeline in times of uncertainty, which I'm sure many of you will agree the agricultural sector has no shortage of. So you must follow the numbers closely, right? As I believe that the numbers will provide you with a level of steer that experience alone could never. And so what I would like to emphasize to farmers as we head into the new year is that regardless of the size of your operations, you must, you absolutely must anchor your decision-making mechanism on what the data tells you. This is absolutely crucial for sustainability, for growth, and for navigating your way around the very volatile South African economy. So please use your data to your advantage. Great having you, agricultural economist Lunati Sakanyane. Great insights and a must-know for any new farmer. We now change gears from niche crops to understanding global export markets. Experts in the fruit export industry now joins us to share crucial tips for farmers interested in penetrating international markets. First up, we have Dr. Sifiso Ndombela, Chief Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council, who unpacks what is meant by fresh export markets and the prominent export products and the best practice for new farmers. To be specific, maybe what we mean by the fresh produce is the fresh produce in the South African context will include your vegetables, will include your fruits, and to the largest extent, if you have a broader definition, you could also include your floriculture. And the three sort of, both if you're looking at it from the, the biological science of the product and the markets and the production practices that are practiced by different farmers, it entails different ones. Perhaps maybe to start off with the fruit, which is the most prominent and I think one of the most successful export product driven by our farmers, ranging from citrus, subtropical stuff. I think one of the key things that one will, if I were to advise as a farmer, either the farmer that is entering into the space or a farmer that is been into that space but want to expand. I think for me, one of the key things I would say 
it's really important to start being before you even get into whether you want to operate in the export market or domestic market, it's always the most advisable decision to become a member of the commodity associations. So if you have interest in your stone fruit, you become a member of that related association. So the reason I say that, because you automatically have access to probably the most latest, efficient, and most market-ready information, whether you look at the production, the type of cultivar you'll have to plant, the production standards that you'll have to follow, as well as the different registration components that you have to follow. The second one to then become compliant with the markets, such as those that within agriculture being registered as your producer code. Then the second thing for me, once you become a member, which most of these things I'm talking about usually become part of your services provided by this commodity association, is to start understanding the market that you want to supply so that you understand before you even put the cultivar on the ground, you have an end picture in mind of what type of the market we're looking for, what type of the consumer preferences they're looking for in terms of taste preference, because that tends to determine what type of product you'll be able to do that. That's what I would say in terms of the fruit industry, because they operate more into the deep sea market. And I think Justin can even give you a breakdown with this, some of the examples in the citrus industries. They do that work pretty well. If you're looking for the vegetables, it's a, a totally different ball game if you're looking at the vegetables. It's more of a commodity if you look at the export market where our regional markets are better positioned and they actually have more returns into our farmers. But then there it's understanding because it's a totally different supply chain and the cold chain that you'll have to follow if you're looking into the, all these different markets. And through your local retailers, such as your ShopRite and Tiger Brands, but also through our fresh produce market, which some of our agents already operate and have strong linkages with the likes of your Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, as you go up north. And they are able to link you properly with the channels that you have to follow and understanding the complications of the logistical chain that you have to follow, but also understanding how your product will be moving on the ground into those markets. So that's how I will live between the fruits and the vegetables and starting to look in terms of the market. But with vegetable itself, you have your vegetable forum and other very specific commodity groups, like just your potato, which are relatively well established and they can be able to assist you as a farmer. As a new farmer or as a farm that is already in place, one of the key things you can empower yourself with as you get into the export market is access to information and information that is accurate. And the best place, in my view, for that is to be a member of the Commodity Association. Now, with fruit exports in Mzanzi booming, Justin Chadwick, Citrus Growers Association CEO, explained why we've been able to stay in the market for 115 years. The reason why the fruit markets are really doing well are a number of reasons. One is we've been in the game for a long time. So if, you, if you're looking at citrus, we started exporting citrus in 1906. So we've got 100 and whatever it is, 15 years of experience in exporting of citrus fruit. But if you go back to apples, they were even before that. They were in the late 1890s. So you can imagine that over all those years, the experience that's been built up in the industry as to how to send the right fruit into the right market at the right time, that's been developed over that time. The real reason why we've managed to stay in markets for 115 years and grow the industries is really based on research. If you are selling a fresh produce of any sort, the one thing that you have to do is abide by what is called the phytosanitary requirements of the country that you're sending your product to. And phytosanitary basically means your pest and disease status of your export consignment that you're sending overseas. In order to ensure that a country will receive your fruit, you have to convince them that you're not going to send any pests and diseases with your fruit. Or if you do have pests and diseases associated with your fruit, that they are mitigated, the risk mitigated. In other words, those pests or diseases cannot be transmitted 
with the fruit and establish in the other country. So probably 70% of our research is pest and disease management research and research to mitigate the risk. Just as an example, all of our fruit that goes to China has to go through what's called cold treatment. The fruit is sent at a very low shipping temperature and the reason for that is to kill false coding moth because the false coding moth don't survive a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. We ship at those temperatures for that time. So it's a very complex arrangement and I must agree with Sophie, so if you're going to get into the export game, make sure you get really good partners in with you. Choose good agents. If you're new in the game, get mentored by somebody who's been in the industry for a while. If you're in the citrus industry, there is the CGA Grow Development Company. They have extension specialists that can help you with the technical side because it's very complex technically to get everything right, to get the quality right and to get the pest and disease management right. So use those tools that are at your disposal. Wow, some advice and crucial tips for any new farmer interested in penetrating international markets. Remember, you can always catch these weekly sessions on Food for Mzansi's Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. Next up, we chat to Lucinda Dordley, the head of news of Food for Mzansi's newly launched sister publication called foodforafrica.com, sharing inspiring and news from across the continent. Lucinda, you're steering the ship of Africa's first ever continent-wide agri-publication. How does it feel? I have to admit, Duncan, that being asked to helm foodforafrica.com was simultaneously a very anxiety-inducing and very exciting project to come aboard on. At this point, though, the excitement is gaining momentum and is drowning out any sort of anxiety that I was feeling about being asked to be the head of news. Foodforafrica.com is unique, much like the countries that we will be covering. This goes beyond just covering agricultural news in a specific country. This is covering agricultural news across the continent. And with that, you need to take a very nuanced and very balanced approach to how you are going to be tackling specific problems and the solutions that you are going to be presenting. Every country has different factors that influence the agricultural sector. Is a country being negatively impacted by climate change? Is a country's politics negatively impacting its agricultural sector? Is the country performing well in terms of international supply and demand? Is the country food secure? How much emphasis is put on supporting subsistence farmers because a lot of people on the continent farm to sustain themselves and their family and don't really do so for financial gain. But subsistence farmers also can't be ignored in the conversation about the agricultural sector. So there are so many things to consider, but with that, it makes you come up with very interesting, very practical and very solutions-based journalism. To me, that is the aim of Food for Africa, to highlight problems and then also offer solutions to those particular problems. And I'm so excited to see how the publication grows in the course of the first year. We are still a baby, but we're crawling, soon we'll be walking, soon we'll be running, and I cannot wait to see how fast we can run. I must admit, the stories on foodforafrica.com is diverse and dynamic, and we even meet the spirited new Obama Foundation leader, Ifi Umako, Tell us about the inspirational stories we can find on foodforafrica.com. I think that there's something so special about a recently started publication and pushing forward the stories of inspirational individuals. Besides chatting to Ify, we've also chatted to 
Elizabeth, who is known as Kenya's cassava queen. And she was the recipient of $20,000 from the African Land Bank's 2020 AgriPitch competition. Or Jean, who is a refugee farmer who has had to overcome immense obstacles to make a success of his maize business and has managed to do it anyway. I think that there are inspirational profiles on the website, but I also believe that the news is also written in a very inspirational way. I think that we can find our inspiration in so much more than, you know, just looking to individuals at all times. I think that we can find inspiration in community. I think that we can find inspiration in the way that a country handles a particular challenge. You know, stories that speak of resilience stories that speak of overcoming and being stronger at the end of the day. I think that that is inspirational and there are so many stories like that waiting to be uncovered across the continent. Sounds amazing. Thanks, Duncan and Lucinda Dordley, foodforafrica.com's Head of News. Now for our book of the week as chosen by farmers, A Fistful of Shells, West Africa from the Rise of the Slave Trade to the Age of Revolution by Toby Green. Caroline Sampson, Head of Strategy and Sustainability at Access Bank SA, reviews this book for us. If I was asked to recommend just one book that I read in 2021, it will be A Fistful of Shelves, West Africa from the Rise of the Slave Trade to the Age of Revolution by Toby Green. Impeccably researched, it consolidates sources from as far away as Brazil and India to disabuse the reader of the oft-stated notion that Africa has no history. The book describes the changes that took place in between 1400 to 1850 in West Africa. It starts by looking at pre-colonial trade patterns across the Sahara Desert and the kingdoms that ruled the region. The arrival of European traders would change the dynamics as local industries adapted to the demand from the new buyers. The author embraces the complexity of the region and provides nuanced analysis of gender, politics, religion and market influences, supported by maps, photos and charts. The book forced me to rethink many preconceived perceptions, not only about West Africa, but also Southern Africa. An absolutely fascinating read for anyone with an interest in the African continent. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. When your family doesn't settle for anything less than magnificence, give them the best with Magnificent Maize Meal. On the field or in the classroom, Magnificent helps your family perform magnificently. Magnificent is a product of VKB Group. Visit vkb.co.za or like our Facebook page for more. VKB, for the love of the land. Of course, that was another great book review by Carolyn. Thank you so much. And remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us at info at Now, before we let you go, you've probably heard of intercropping by now, a trend in sustainable farming practices. Sipiwa Sitolo, the founder of African Marmalade, an organic farming enterprise in Pretoria, has our Farmer Tip of the Week and specifically focuses on intercropping indigenous crops in Mzanzi. When intercropping indigenous crops, one would have to look at stuff that is going to cover the ground and also that could also use uh, one of the other plants to actually just climb on that. So I would do things like sorghum and use cow peas that would then rely on the stock of the sorghum, be it white or red sorghum, and I would put a creeping plant such as the 
pumpkins or calabashes. You can also intercrop your okra together with some of the spuds so that they get a little bit of shade. So I'd put an okra with, say, the melons or the African watermelons. And our Farmer Top of the Week from Sipiwe Sitole, African Marmalade founder, brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food Form Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And of course, remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. The Farmer's Inside Track is available for free on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also not forgetting foodformzanzi.co.za. But from me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov, our producer, Megan van der Fent, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, have a great week. What joins a continent but its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers, in the rhythm of the land? What ignites its future but the promise to fulfill, to protect and grow the very life of tomorrow. This is why we do what we do under the African blue. Corteva. Keep growing.